Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Today, we are talking about Alexa, both the name and the device. And your favorite Facebook group may be completely fake. We'll tell you more and continue our series through the book of Romans. It's all straight ahead on Real Faith for Real Life podcast from Cascade Fellowship in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So, ready? Let's do it. So, Brian, how's your day going so far? Uh, it's early. It's Wednesday. I'm hoping that it's good. Yeah. We'll see. Well, <laughs> well my day is off to a great start. I am yeah. on my way to church this morning. got my very favorite thing in the whole world, other than Jesus, of course. Of course. And uh, my dear co-workers here. But, and my <laughs> wife. Okay, all that stuff. Yeah. Other than all that stuff, my favorite thing in the world right now is Starbucks pumpkin scone. Delicious. It is that season. <laughs> and I got here to church. I picked up the bag by the wrong end and dumped it right into the asphalt. Oh, man. That's why I saw you turn around as soon as you pulled it in the you turn and straight back through the starbucks line again All right. so the day's off to a slow Fresh start start let's see here <laughs> let's turn it around with yep. the podcast we got some fun stuff to talk about today right yeah so let's let's dive into this first story so you say that no more babies are being named alexa well not as many and why do you think okay. that would be i'm guessing it has something to do with some sort of smart device maybe that's right back in 2014 amazon named their smart assistant Alexa. And yeah. now we have data that shows the Social Security Administration says the name Alexa is 80% less popular today as it was back then. And in the UK, it's uh, moved from the 167th most popular name to the 920th. Yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. But kind of crazy to think how like a device like that has so much influence. Yeah. I just feel bad for the parents that named their kid Alexa in 2013. Right. And then, like, the rest of this child's life, it's, right. I don't know what I would do. I've always wondered why Amazon chose the name Alexa. Like, you could make, <laughs> like, you know, we have Siri, we have yeah, no Google one's Assistant. Named, right? No one's like, named Siri. Right. So that doesn't interfere with yeah, it's really interesting. people. But, you know, I was reading in this news story that also 37% of parents nowadays, they're choosing their kids' names with domains in mind, web domains in mind. Oh, wow. So that I guess, never crossed my mind. I'll yeah, agree. like I own BillWitt.com. I don't do anything with it right now, but I own yeah. it. Um, yeah, so if I were to have a child, and man, I would have to like do a search. Like, is, <laughs> is, whatever, is this domain available? Yeah, and if yeah. not, like, well, hmm, right. we got to try well, something what else. what pops up when you Google <laughs> that name? And, and since 2018, Fortnite-related names have surged in popularity. And I don't play Fortnite, so I don't have I don't any play video games. clue what that is. But apparently Leviathan... And Bunny okay. are now popular names. So maybe someone listening has a clue what that's all hey, about. Maybe. But. <laughs> I have no idea. All right. So this second story is a little less upbeat, more yeah. exciting, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about troll farms targeting Christians on Facebook. What does that mean? That's right. In uh, documents recently released or, or leaked to the MIT Technology Review, it turns out that 19 of 20 of the top Christian Facebook groups or pages, mm -hmm. uh, they are actually not run by American Christians, but Eastern European troll farms seeking to intentionally undermine and create chaos here in our country. Yeah. Um, so basically, the groups that had the largest reach in our country, other than guideposts, <laughs> Props okay. to guideposts for actually cracking the top 20 and yeah. being the one real page. Okay. Other than guideposts, all the other big groups were fake. That's crazy to think about. 
And think about how much influence that puts in 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 our lives, in our Facebook feed. Absolutely. I was talking to some pastor colleagues mm-hmm. last night, and uh, we're all struggling with the fact that our people, our congregation, they're being spiritually formed by the device in their pocket. They're carrying around with them 24-7. Absolutely. And we only get them for an hour a week or two. At best. Right. And yeah. what are they viewing on these devices? <clears throat> Propaganda. From right. people overseas intent on dividing us and sowing chaos here in our country. Yeah. But anyway, from a Christian pastor's perspective, man, it's just like, number one, it makes me think, how sad is it right. that Christians are that easily manipulated away from the true faith mm-hmm. and into what someone makes a meme about, a little square graphic, a right. bad-looking graphic at that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll just take whatever square little graphic appears in their feed and assume that. Yeah. is the heart of Christianity. Absolutely. Um, and then number two, uh, one of the articles I was reading about this just said, man, how many pastors themselves are mm. are in, in taking in this information and allowing it to shape their worldview? Yeah. So Christians... Across the board. It's time we get back to the Bible. It's time yeah. we get back to trustworthy sources. And uh, you know what? We even say that about this podcast. We're going to study Romans here in just right. a second. But don't take our word for it. Get in the Bible yourself. Read it for yourself. Absolutely. Uh, check trusted sources. That's the only way to go. Right. So when we come back, we're going to dive into Romans 6 and 7. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about what we're preview what we're going to talk about a little bit? Yeah, we're going to look at this, this question that hangs over the study, which is, man, if we're saved by grace through faith, if we're not saved by good works, if they mm-hmm. have 0% in that equation... Then as Christians, why do we need to do good works? Should we care about it? Well, we should, and we'll tell you why in just a second. All right, as Brian mentioned, today we're tackling Romans 6 and 7, and, you know, we're going to do, we typically do the question and answer format here, where Brian's kind of keeping the con- uh, the conversation flowing with right. questions. Uh, this week, Paul himself is providing the questions. We mentioned, I think we mentioned on the podcast a few weeks ago, Paul really enjoys this genre called a diatribe. Mm-hmm. And it's this imagined opponent or conversation partner. So he's asking questions um, that this conversation partner might ask. Right. And then he's answering his own question. So today, to keep the conversation moving forward and to follow Paul's logic... Because everything flows out, like he says something that flows out of something, right? And then he says something that flows out of that, and then he says something that flows out of that. We just want to follow his logic, yeah. So to facilitate that, we're going to recreate that conversation partner diatribe, and Brian's going to be the person asking the questions. Right. So we'll just start right at the top of chapter six. All right. So Paul kicks off here, and he says, "What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase?" All right, so this flows out of what we talked about last week. So we ended last week's study, chapter 5 wrapped up, you know, with this doctrine of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Paul said, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Right. And so now he's imagining as people hear that, they're thinking, wow, that sounds wild, you know, maybe I should just sin more and more and more so God can show more and more and more grace. Yep. So that leads to this question that we uh, we alluded to. As Christians, 
do we need to do good works? Does that have any part in our mindset as Christians? Now, typically, Brian, the answer, the simple answer that a pastor <laughs> would give someone is, well, yeah, of course, like Jesus has saved you from death, from eternal death, from the penalty of your sins, from God's wrath. You should be, what, grateful to him, right? Yeah. So that's the simple answer is, man, God has loved you. Now let's show him our thanks right. by doing what he wants us to right. do. And that's true. Works flows out of faith. Yeah. Yep. And then there's another kind of answer, sin, salvation, service. Mm-hmm. So this is what we've been saved to do, to serve God, to, right. to live in his mission. Okay, that's all true, but Paul doesn't quite go down that line of reasoning here. So let's set that aside for a second and look at what he does say. What does he say? Uh, shall we go on sinning? Verse 2, by no means we are those who have died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Mm. And he goes on through this first paragraph to go through, we've been baptized into Christ Jesus. We've been unified with him. So when he died, we died. When he rose to new life, we rose to new life. And he says, reckon it, count on it. It's true. Behave like who you really are. And then at the end of that entire section of logic, that full paragraph, he ends this way. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. So he ends this first section of logic by saying you're dead to sin because you're in Christ, Mm -hmm. so you're not under the law anymore. That leads to our next question. That's right. So in the next verse, verse 15, Paul, well, the person asking Mm -hmm. Paul here, asks the question, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Yeah, so that's the obvious question to ask. What does it mean that we're not under the law right. anymore? And what, why would we, why would we not sin then if we're not under the law? And you know, it's it's really a provocative thing that Paul has said. If you mm-hmm. imagine the way the original readers would have received this, how dare he? They might ask. You know, think about Psalm nineteen. Think about Psalm one nineteen. Uh, where the psalmist says that the law is more precious than gold, uh, more more sweet than honey. Mm -hmm. Um, So how dare Paul take this thing that Jewish people held so dear and say it's uh, expired, so to speak. Anyway, he answers his own question again with these same words, by no means, certainly not, verse 16, don't you know... And notice that same phrase again. He answers each of these things with this phrase, don't you know? Mm -hmm. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so, you know, he's saying we as human beings have to serve someone we have to serve some master. He says, you're, a, you're actually, re- realize it or not, you're a servant or a slave of whatever you choose to obey. Right. Uh, and then he, in this paragraph of logic, contrasts the two paths that, that diverge here. You can choose to be a slave to your wants and your needs and your mm-hmm. habits and your addictions and sin in this life. But that will just lead to death and to shame. Or you can choose to be a slave to righteousness and to God, which leads to eternal life. And so I love what Tim Keller says. He says, 
it makes complete sense then to voluntarily become a slave to God, a slave to righteousness. For instance, just think about the Ten Commandments. Tim Keller says, a Christian does not have to obey the Ten Commandments in order to be saved, but a Christian does have to obey the Ten Commandments in order to be free. Isn't that interesting? To be a free and godly human being. If you don't obey the law of God, you become a slave to selfishness and sin, he says. And so I think that's beautiful. It's like God wrote this owner's manual for being a human being yeah. and this planet he's created in this world. Yeah. And if we want to be truly free and truly happy and truly fulfilled and enjoy this abundant life he has for us, the best way to do that is actually just to submit to that owner's manual. That's a really interesting way to put it, too. I've never really thought of obeying the law of God as um, being free from that. But like, if you're mm-hmm. not obeying it, then you're a slave to that as well. S- yeah. Still a slave to the law. Yeah, and so he wraps up that section of logic, this paragraph, with verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Yeah. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So these sound like pretty profound statements about our deepest identity, our salvation, and our faith. And that just might be the key for Christian growth, I would guess, right? I think so. If you look at this chapter, if you look at chapter 6, it's filled with declarative, indicative statements. Paul is just saying, this is true. This is who you are. Verse 2, we died to sin. Verse 6, the old self is buried with Christ. Verse 11, we are dead to sin, but alive to God. Verse 13, you've been brought back from death to life. Verse 18, set free from sin, slaves to righteousness, etc., etc. This chapter is full of Paul just saying, this is who you are now. Mm -hmm. This is what's true of you. This is your deepest identity. And then in the midst of all those declarative, indicative statements, there are these commands. And so Paul in verse 12 will say, do not let sin reign. Isn't that interesting? It's this combination of like sin no longer reigns, so don't let sin reign, right? You know, yeah. verse thirteen: Don't offer parts of your body to sin, but offer yourselves to God. Um, verse nineteen: Offer yourself in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. So it's this back and forth and back and forth in chapter six of Paul informing us: This is who you are, and then commanding us: Be who you are. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, and that's <laughs> yep. sort of a, a secret to Christian growth. And I think as Christians, we'd do well to listen to this chapter. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah. And so he'll, he'll close this section with verse 6. Uh, but now dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So now we're, mm-hmm. we find ourselves into chapter 7. Yeah. And Paul says we are, again, free from what bound us. And we get to serve in this new way, by the Spirit, not by the law. Right. So he goes on then to ask another question. In verse 7, Paul says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? And he answers the same exact way as before. (laughs) He loves to answer his imagined opponent the same way every time. Certainly not. Right. Of course not. What are you thinking, (laughs) Uh, opponent of mine? The law is not the enemy. Mm Mm-hmm. Sin is the enemy, 
And he goes on to describe how that's true. He says, you know, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. Yeah. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And so Paul says the law is good in numerous ways, but first and foremost, because it reveals who we truly are. Right. Think about Paul the Pharisee, who actually thought he was doing a great job of obeying the law of God, mm-hmm. <laughs> keeping, he would say, the letter of the law, the surface yep. reading of the law, the external elements of the law. He did really good uh, with that, as many Christians can do today, right? right. You Absolutely. can clean up your outside real good and make it look like you're obeying everything perfectly. Yep. But then he mentions this one law in particular, and that's coveting, right? He calls out one of the Ten Commandments here, and he says it was coveting that really drilled into his heart and showed him he was a sinner. Why yep. is that? Because coveting's internal, Everything else in the Ten Commandments is observable, but coveting, wanting what someone else has, dissatisfaction with what God has given you, (laughs) that is internal. And so it was through this commandment, I believe, that God showed Paul, no, you're, you're a sinner too. And so Paul says the law is good because, first of all, it revealed that to me. It revealed to me that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Right. And, um... The, the reformers, Martin Luther and the rest, especially Calvin, uh, referred to the three uses of the law. That was the first one, that it's like a mirror. You look into it, and like Paul did, you say, uh-oh, mm-hmm. I don't measure up to this. I need a savior. I need saving. But there's other uses of the law, too. It restrains evil in the world. I mean, if there weren't speed limit signs, I would go like 150. I'll admit that. Right. So would I. <laughs> and, yeah. and people would be you know, dying and being maimed left and right because of the things <laughs> we do to each other. So law is good in that sense, too. Right. God gives us the law to uh, restrain evil in the world. Right. That's use number two. And then use number three, Calvin said, was it reveals the character and nature of God. It reveals his priorities. It tells us something about who he is. Mm-hmm. And in turn, how we should show our thanks to him and live our lives for his glory. So in that sense, the Ten Commandments is still very, very relevant to us as Christians. Yeah. Um, in fact, it fulfills all of those three purposes. It shows us how far we fall short. It restrains evil in the world. And once we're saved, it shows us, man, this is this is how I reflect God's character to the mm-hmm. world. This is how I show my gratitude to him. I love that. So it's like the law is useful to us. Right. And it's also, I think, good to really think about the context here too, right? Like mm-hmm. these are new mm-hmm. Christians in this new identity pulling out what they are trying to figure out, you know, where, what place does the law have right. as a Jew, as a Christian in this, you know, mixed culture here. And so Paul describes the battle that he faces against sin daily to kind of help uh, guide that too. In verse yeah. 14, he starts and he says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. This is always a tongue tie to me. Yeah. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, is it no longer I myself who do it? But it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I find myself in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. That was Brian. a lot. That was very good, Brian. <laughs> that, that is a tongue twister, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so Paul continues this argument, this this flow of logic. Right. You know, we've just talked about, is the law useful to mm-hmm. Christians? And what is the Christian's relationship to the law? And right before he went into this whole section, he was talking about how the law even sometimes, it almost makes him more likely to sin. It's like right. when you see a sign that says, keep off the grass. Right. And what you do you do? want to do that. You definitely want to get on that grass. <laughs> right. It says, do not cross this line. You want to cross the line. When you see the speed limit sign, you want to go above it. Yep. And so Paul is kind of acknowledging that sin is still, as you said, right there with him. Mm-hmm. He has been saved and transformed and renewed, brought to life in Christ, and yet still living in this sinful flesh, still living among sinful people in a sinful world. Right. And the devil's still a thing, a real factor uh, in, in, the, in the life that mm-hmm. he leads. And so he experiences what I think every Christian experiences, and that is this tug of war. Right. between the old self and the new self. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's a little bit of controversy. That entire section you just read, Brian, some theologians think, no, Paul can't be talking about a Christian here. Okay, There's no way Paul could be talking about a Christian because he talks about being a slave to right. sin. He right. talks about being uh, unspiritual. Mm-hmm. And yet, other theologians say, but it has to be a Christian he's talking about. Because he talks about loving the law. He talks about in right. his mind he he wants to obey. That can only apply to Christians, <laughs> as we'll talk about later in the study. Yeah. Um, I come down on the side that is Christians that he's talking about. He's talking about himself as a Christian, and I'm not alone. Augustine agrees with me. <laughs> Martin Luther agrees with me. R.C. Sproul, Tim Keller, <laughs> There's many, a lot. Yeah. many others. And so they would say, yeah, this is just the uh, normal experience yeah. of Christians as you're struggling and fighting against sin every day. Mm-hmm. And I look, you know, you don't have to look much farther than the penitential Psalms, Psalm 130. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? You know, Psalm 38, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. You can look at what Paul himself said in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I'm least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle. Ephesians 3, the very least of all the saints. 1 Timothy 1, he marveled that God would consider him faithful and put him into service. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, he confessed that, you know, whatever he was in Christ was only due to the grace of God. So Paul was a humble man, and throughout Scripture we see in the Psalms and elsewhere, humble people... Uh, as they draw closer to God, they they become even more aware of their right. own sinfulness. Yeah. 
Um, so there's a really practical take home in chapter seven here, which is, you know, as a Christian, as you grow, uh, if you're growing closer to God, you may experience like more mm-hmm. sinfulness. You may see more sinfulness in yourself, and that's normal. Right. We are saved, but we are also being saved at the same time, right? Like That's right. So We're going to talk about that next week. Yeah. Uh, salvation in the Bible has three tenses. Past tense, we've mm-hmm. been justified, we've been declared not guilty once and for all. Present tense, we're being saved from the power of sin over us right now. And in the future, which we'll talk about next week, we'll yeah. be saved fully and finally from even the presence of sin itself completely one day. And I think, you know what? That's a beautiful place to wrap up today yeah. uh, with that little preview of, <laughs> of what's coming next week. I think so. As we struggle in this world, and uh, that is our calling as Christians, to continue to struggle against sin, to reckon ourselves dead to it, as Paul said. Jesus has saved you out of this. Why would you go right back into that path that leads to death? Yep. You've trusted Jesus. You've agreed to follow him. So, yeah, trust what he says is true about sin and, and follow him. Uh, so we struggle, but that struggle only lasts for a while in the future. We will be completely, fully, and finally free uh, from that one day. And we'll talk about that next week. That's right. So next week, uh, we'll talk more into Romans later in Romans 7, 8, and 9. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening from. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear your comments as well. All right, everybody, take care. We'll see you next week on Real Faith for Real Life.